I'd like to see you preach someday. Yeah, good. You, you, you've, you know, God's got a great future for you, Ruby, and you and Stephen. You, you know, that, and I'd love to see you up here preaching one day. Maybe do a duet. It'd be awesome. The speaking type. Who's enjoying the devotionals? I was at a conference over in Melbourne this week and I've been to that about 29 years in a row. And the way the flights work, I have to, we have to be there in time for a bus at 3.30 in the afternoon. So it means I have to get a flight that gets into Melbourne at 8 a.m. In the, in the morning. So I spend nearly eight hours in the airport. And to be fair, I'm really over the con- this conference. I've been there that often, but it's in my contract with this supplier to to go there, and I was, and so my attitude was not great. Then I thought, actually, you know, we're doing this forty days of hope and joy, and I haven't started reading the devotionals. Even, <laughs> well, the excuse was that yes, I wrote them, but then I, then I started reading them, and I thought, actually, that's really good. That's really. <laughs> I need that. I need to hear that. And I started declaring out some of the declarations and my attitude started shifting. And can I just give a real uh, honour to uh, Anna Button and Amy Shute. And if you see them around, I don't think either of them are here today, but you know, Anna did the bulk of the editing on the devotional, so it took my weird ramblings and turned it into something that hopefully you're enjoying reading. So... Um, Give a shout out to her when you see her. And Amy shoot turned it into something that looks great. And I don't know, don't know about you, but I prefer reading things that look good. So um, uh, encourage both of them when you see them. But today we're, we're carrying on in this series. This is talk number two. It wasn't John's talk great last week, starting a 40 Days of Hope and Joy series. I didn't feel any pressure after that of him to actually give something really good, but it, it was a good talk. If you missed it, make sure you listen to it on our church, off our church website. And this 40 Days of Hope and Joy course we're doing now is designed to give us tools that will help us in the process of renewing our minds and breaking off strongholds that limit our future, which is what Ruby was talking about before. It is designed to propel us forward into our destiny with more hope and joy than we thought possible. Last week, John started unlocking the thought that as people who are in Christ, we will grow and be filled with joy. It is a fruit of the Spirit, and it will grow. The more time we spend with Jesus, the faster it will grow as Jesus trains us to believe better. But sometimes we'll hold umbrellas up, which just slow that growth process down. And John was encouraging us to actually take the umbrellas down and allow joy to bubble up and overflow from us as a people. So maybe we should do another declaration. So say after me, I am becoming a more joyful person. With this morning's talk, I want to unlock the power of hope for us. You know, hope is incredible. When everything goes wrong for you, When everyone deserts you, it is hope that will keep you true and on course. When you need to make an impossible leap of faith, it is hope that will cause you to do it. 
If you've tried and tried and tried and tried again, it is hope that stops you from giving up. Hope celebrates progress. To have hope is to have God because God is a God of hope. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And last week John talked about our about us overflowing with joy so that, it, that we get to enjoy it and it flows on to other people and encourages and blesses them. The Bible says we're also to overflow with hope. Being full of hope ourselves and allowing that hope to overflow onto others. As I mentioned, I was at a conference um, last week and we get to travel around in the Kaiser bus. It's about 30 years old now and most years these days it breaks down somewhere. But uh, I was sitting beside one of the ladies, uh, um, one of the wives of one of the other guys. She's like sitting at the front, he likes sitting at the back. So I sat beside her. She's an ex Kiwi. Um, uh, their sons have been part of the business, except the second son was becoming a problem. And recently he left and went overseas, and he's, uh, she's re- really worried about him. I won't go into details, but all sorts of issues that he's getting in, in involved in. And I was able to just start sharing with her some of uh, the situations we've had as parents and, and the fact that we can go to Jesus and pray for them and Jesus is listening and he will do things and he'll bring shift and he'll be changed. And I said, look, I, you know, I'm not talking about you starting going to church and, and, and that sort of thing, but you know, I, I really sense that you believe in God. You know, you, some of the stuff you do, you believe that God exists. And can I just encourage you that if you start talking to, to Jesus about the things that are on your heart about your son, he's going to bring shift and he'll bring change. He's, he wants to hear what's on your heart and he'll make a difference. And I was able to give her hope. With hope we will say, though everyone else fails me, Jesus, I trust you. I know that you will never fail me. I put my hope in you. Hope propels us into the unknown, enables us to take risk and step into our future. Hope changes our attitude and it releases joy. Let me tell you a little bit about my story. Um, Some of it maybe I haven't shared before. So when I was in primary school, uh, before I was a Christian, I became a Christian at the age of 13. When I was at primary school, I was in the playground. And I, I heard this voice say, one day you'll be a minister for me. And I looked around and I couldn't see anyone there. I didn't know what it was. When I became a Christian at the age of 13, from then on, I, I realized this was God or Jesus speaking to me. And it gave me a real sense of hope for my future that God had called me to ministry. And it, it enabled me and given me the, the courage the hope has given me the courage to actually step in and say yes to all sorts of things which otherwise I might have chickened out on. Uh, we, when I was at um, uh, high school, uh, we had this uh, American evangelist traveling the country called Larry Allen. Who remembers Larry Allen? There's be some there. So we had this tent crusade for about 10 days in Rangura where I was growing up, and he was, he was preaching there. That's when my dad became a Christian. And I said why don't we get him to come into the Rangura High School and preach one, one lunchtime? And 
that's what I said. So I went to our leadership and said, can I see if I can organise to get Larry Allen to come and preach in our high school at lunchtime? And they said, yeah, if you can. So I went and uh, saw the, the uh, head, headmaster principal of the high school and said, look, we've got this guy from America who's, who's a Christian. He's been doing this tent crusade. Uh, can, can I get him to come in and um, preach in the quadrangle at lunchtime? And he said, yes. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? And he came and preached, and, and this was, uh, I think it's year 11, a school cert. We're supposed to be studying in the, in the classes afterwards. I spent a lot of time sharing my faith, and we, we started leading people to the Lord. And it was, uh, and one of the teachers said, shouldn't you be studying? And I remember saying to them, maybe this is more important. You know, young people, don't let age stop you from actually stepping into anything that God's calling you into. You know, you, God is in you just as much as he's in me or he's in John or anyone else here, and you can step into things that God's calling into. You can make a difference. You can be significant at whatever age you're at. You've got the power of the Holy Spirit in you. Step up and into everything God's encouraging you into. The... Um, it, but, you know, I would have never done that if I hadn't had that word from God that gave me hope to move forward. But not everything works out. And when I, 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 year 12, which is now sixth form, and I was getting towards the end of that, and I got, felt the sense, God, you've called me into ministry, so, so I assume that means I'm to be a pastor. So I went and had a chat to my pastor and said, what I'd like to do is come and understudy you and, and go to Bible college and, and then move into, into ministry. And today we call that being an intern. We didn't have words like that back then. We didn't have infrastructure for doing anything like that back then. And I'm not quite sure if he knew what to do with the request. But he, said, uh, he answered and said, well, maybe you should go and talk to your parents. So I went and had a chat with mum and dad. And I said, look, you know, I really believe that God's called me into ministry and uh, this is what I want to do. And, and mum and dad weren't so enthusiastic as I was. Uh, and they suggested that perhaps I should go and get an apprenticeship. And they said, you know, if ministry doesn't work out, at least you'll have something to fall back on. And then they offered a little bit of wisdom as well and said, and also it'll give you some life experience so you can actually relate to people a bit, bit more. And I thought, but hang on, God's called me into this ministry. What am I? And, and uh, this is what hope does. It says, Okay, so even though this isn't what I think, I, the, the way that I interpret God's call over my life looks like, God, I trust you to be in charge of my future. And your word says, honour your father and mother so that you may do well in life. And so I went and got an apprenticeship at the railway workshops in Addington, which is now Tower Junction. And then from there, moved into the business that we now own and have been there ever since. And it doesn't look anything like what I thought it would when I was first a Christian. Yet, it has been so good. And I get to do so much ministry, and I'm not a financial burden on the church, and I love that. <laughs> and uh, when, when we, Denise and I, oh, actually before then, at high school, uh, um, I thought, why don't we have a? Com- this out of ring, why don't we have a combined youth group activity on a Friday night? 
And I thought, well, why don't I organize it? <laughs> so I did, and, and so for about a year, uh, we would have over 100 youth at an at a event at the uh, St. John's Anglican Church Hall and come in and do things. I think Denise came along to a few of them. She didn't, we weren't connected all then. She just thought, who's that weird guy <laughs> at the front? And it was really cool. And um, coming here and we took over 20 plus, we stepped, or we started 20 plus, we stepped into that leadership. Um, when, when John started, I said, look, if you need someone to be in charge of evangelism, I'll, I'll do that. And that year I saw eight, I led eight, personally led eight people to the Lord. Um, then we moved into eldership. And this year I've written a book and I've had a lot of uh, positive feedback from people where they've just really been blessed from the ministry that's given them. Uh, I've been being invited to churches to minister there and doing a lot of ministry here through eldership and leadership and even speaking today. And I just love it. And you, it all comes out of the hope that God puts into our heart when we come into a relationship with him and enables us to step and take leaps of faith into our future and destiny that he's calling us to. Is that good? I need to find out where I'm up to now. Now, the early church was known for an overflowing hope. In the New Testament of the Bible, people who put their faith in Jesus were first called Christians in a place called Antioch. You can, you can read that in the book of Acts. And this actually happened many years after Jesus had risen from the dead. And the word Christian means anointed ones. The word Christ means anointed one who is anointed. And so the word Christian means anointed ones. And it's part of the interpretation of that is basically it's a little bit means plural. So it means that we are anointed. That's, that's where, where the word Christian came. And that one of the reasons that the early church was known as being anointed ones, because Christians would go about under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, changing the world around them bringing hope to people. Now, they would do things like miracles. Now, you think of uh, the Apostle Philip. One day, at one moment, he's baptizing an Ethiopian eunuch. Next thing, he completely disappears, turns up in another ran, random place and just starts pre preaching the gospel to people. And they say, where did he come from? Now, it was a church that was doing miracles. And they'd be releasing healings. Uh, Peter and John, they were going up to the temple and uh, at the gate, beautiful, and there's this guy who's born lame. It, he'd been left there every day to, to, uh, for people to give him money so that he could survive. And I, part of me thinks, so why wasn't he healed when Jesus was around? But that's a different thought process. But Peter and John come up to him and they look at him and they, they, you know, faith and hope rises in their heart and they just say to him, look, in the name of Jesus... We haven't got money, but stand up and walk. And he stands up, his legs are strengthened, and he, he goes leaping and jumping and praising God, as the song says, into the, into the temple. And healing was commonplace in the church, and it gave people hope of a better future. And then there's hope for the poor. Now, there's three areas the church really, early church really focused on, three significant social issues that were of the day. And the first was poverty. 
and they really attacked poverty and they gave hope to the poor. And we read that in Acts where they would sell properties and give to those who are in need. And the Apostle Paul was reminded to always remember the poor and he said that's something that he's very keen to do. And then there's the aspect of slavery where the church made an impact on, a big impact on slavery. In fact, there's a whole book in the New Testament written about a slave and the slave master to and actually speak into that whole, whole life. And then there's the aspect of um, elevating the value of women. You know, women were uh, oppressed and held down in that day, and yet many of the leaders in the early church were women. They were made to feel significant and important. No wonder the early church grew so quickly. And the early church would give hope into areas where it needed hope. And God blesses hope bringers today. What are the issues in your world you can overflow with hope for today? However, before Christ's followers were known as Christians, they were known by the term of being in Christ. And this is a positional change. In fact, the most common way that Christians are referred to in the New Testament is being in Christ. And this is a positional change that takes place when we choose to put our faith in Jesus for the salvation of our souls. We've moved from being in the world with the corruption of our souls that ends in death and eternity in hell and move into a position of being in Christ, covered with his righteousness, receiving the hope of the salvation of our souls, eternity in heaven, and the ability to bring hope to a suffering world. Being in Jesus is key. In Jesus, hope is powerfully unlocked for this life and for eternity. You know, believers should be the most hope-filled people on the planet. Full of biblical optimism. Having an earnest expectation of good. In Jesus, nothing is hopeless. Why don't you say to your neighbor, I have hope for a great future for you. If you're not sitting beside someone, say to yourself, I have hope for a great future for me. <laughs> Hebrews 10.23 says this, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Because of his faithfulness, in Jesus there are no hopeless circumstances. No person we meet is hopeless. And we can be filled with hope about everything. Now, is your marriage in difficulty? In Jesus, there is hope. Have your children gone astray? In Jesus, there is hope. Are you in financial trouble? There is hope. Do you have health issues? There is hope. Are you struggling at school or work? There is hope in Jesus. Whatever you need, in Jesus, there is always hope. You know, in Jesus, there is always hope because he is the God of all hope. And the answer may not be what we expect, but Jesus always has a solution. I love, uh, whenever I'm looking at a biblical truth, I love seeing where it's first referenced in the Bible. I love seeing how early it comes. It, the theologians say that it, uh, 
the earlier it's referenced, the more important it is as a theological truth. And when we, when we go to the actual beginning of the Bible, hope is right there in the beginning. Just read a couple of verses. Genesis 3, 20, 21 says, Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments for, of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. So let's look at some context to this. After God created the world, he made Adam. Adam's name basically means mankind. From Adam, he made woman, woman meaning from man. You know the story, God took a rib from Adam and made woman, and women have been ribbing men ever since. <laughs> no, that's not true. God placed a man and woman in the Garden of Eden with the purpose of ruling over the earth, expanding the garden, multiplying and filling the earth, and to have a perfect relationship with God. God gave them a mission and he gave them authority. It was Adam who named the animals and so doing cemented an animal's characteristics through the naming. It's a biblical principle. But God didn't just want robots. He wanted mankind to be free to choose if they wanted to have a relationship with him or not. Free to decide if they would co-partner with him in filling the earth or choose to be in charge of their own destiny. And of course, this is what sin is. We often uh, classify sin as, as things like lying and stealing and murder, but they are symptoms. They are sin, but they are symptoms of actually something a lot deeper. And that is uh, the decision to be in charge of our own destiny, in charge of what we think is right and wrong, rather than actually having God in charge. And of course, we can see the results of this choice all around us with the hurt, the pain, and the suffering that results from sin. And to ensure a man had a choice, God placed the tree of, knowledge, of the knowledge of good and evil in the center of the garden, the tree of being able to choose our own destiny or to follow God. God only had this one rule in the garden don't eat the fruit. Don't eat the fruit. That's it. One simple rule. Because on the day you eat it, you will die. And of course, we know what happened. The serpent tricked the man and woman into eating the fruit. And when God came looking for, them, uh, for the man and the woman, they were hiding. And why were they hiding? Because they were afraid. This was an extinction-level event. I don't know if we realize that when we read the Bible. This was an extinction-level event. Hollywood loves making movies about extinction-level events. You know, large asteroids going to hit the earth. AI takes over and terminators come around and start destroying people. Uh, biblically, there have been two near extinction-level events on the planet. One was the worldwide flood when God saved eight people in an ark, Noah and his family. And the other, more significant one, was when the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was eaten. They were afraid because they had eaten the fruit, and God said, on the day that you eat the fruit, you will die. That's it. Game over. Everything's gone. Any hope, any future is gone. 
They were afraid, and rightly so. You know, fear is to do with punishment, and they deserved punishment. So God finds them, tells the servant off, tells the woman off, tells Adam off, but they haven't died. Something's different. Far from it, when we actually read the punishment God dishes out, and we're not going to read it today, but go through and read it, we discover seeds of hope written into what God is saying to man and woman. God tells Adam and woman they will have children, they will have to work. Yes, there will be pain and difficulty, but at least there is hope of a future. Then we read these two verses that I read before. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Now stay with me on this because this is really important. Adam had been given the responsibility to name the animals, and so doing, sealing their nature. Up to, the, up to this point, the woman hadn't been named. You get that? Adam names the woman Eve, and this is, this is the very first time she's been called Eve. Now get this, the name Eve means life giver. The name Eve means life giver. You see, in the punishment God speaks out, if you read it in detail, you discover the seeds of hope. Adam and the woman hadn't died. There is hope of life and a future. And out of that hope, Adam uses his God-given authority and declares hope by calling his wife life giver. Adam declares life. Adam declares hope when there should be death. All things are possible to those who believe. There is always hope. And guess what? The next bit is really cool. We see the first co-partnering between God and man after the fall. Look how God responds to Adam's declaration of life and hope. God performs the very first animal sacrifice himself to cover over the sin with blood, demonstrating that the shedding of blood is needed for the forgiveness of sins and hinting at what Jesus will eventually do on the cross for us. And God even goes a step further by covering over the shame of Adam and Eve using the animal skin to cover their nakedness. First came the promise, then came the declaration of hope and a future, and then God responded. Isn't that so cool? No wonder hope is so important. It's right there at the beginning. Hope comes out of what we believe. And faith is hope activated, and God responds to our faith. The truth is demonstrated right at the beginning. And then we discover that hope is right through the Bible. Look at Noah. Never been rained, never, a flood wasn't even known what it was, and yet God said, there's going to be a flood, and I, but I'm going to save you and your family. And for a hundred years, he built an ark. That hope sustained him for a hundred years. Abraham, God had told him, promised him that he was going to be the father of many nations. And 25, 30 years he had to wait before the, the promised son gave, when he was old and Sarah was old. That hope sustained him. Joseph when, um, had been given a, a dreams of being a, a leader and someone who's going to actually save his family and, and, and be a positive influence. And then he gets sold into slavery and goes into prison 
And that hope sustained him right through till he became the second top leader in Egypt and gave a platform for the nation of Israel to actually grow. Gideon, hiding in a cave, threshing wheat. Um, an angel comes to him and says, mighty man of valor, started to instill hope to him that carried him through to the point where he took 300 men and defeated hundreds and thousands of Midianites. David promised to have someone on his throne for generations and generations, even after he sinned. That hope gave him courage for his future. Elijah, depressed, everyone against him, had great success, and, he, and uh, yet because of what was coming against him, he thought he was the last hope of Israel, and then he goes into a cave and God speaks to him and says, actually, you're wrong. Things are 7,000 times better than what you think. He was given hope and he was able actually to move on in, into what he has. In fact, I find it really interesting with Elijah. God said to, to anoint three people to see, see things carry on into the future and he only anoints one. And that person anoints the others. Complete shift in his thinking. Complete shift in his thinking. It is, as, it is what God's wanting to do. You know, as he starts working and rebuilding good thinking in our minds, hope grows. And overflows. This is what hope does. Hope says, I might have a problem at present, but the solution is coming. I might be sick or in pain, but my healing is going to happen. Hope says, I, so I failed today, but that failure is just setting me up for success tomorrow. Hope says, this situation can either be overcome or gone through in Jesus. Hope says, I have a future and a destiny that God is taking me into. Look, here are some Biblically hope-based declarations that we can use. My best days are ahead of me. All things are possible in Jesus. Not just you, but your whole family will be saved. Addictions can be broken off people. People can be freed from poverty. Our society, our society can be better than it is now. Now, I don't think we realize how incredibly important hope is. Hope motivates us for action. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In the Greek, the word substance implies the thought of foundation. Hope is the foundation that faith builds from. And this makes sense. We will never put our faith in something if we have no hope of a good outcome. Isn't that true? Yeah. Hope is about expectation and faith is about action. We hope for an outcome and therefore we act by faith. And when our hope is in Jesus and we act accordingly, the kingdom of God grows around us. So as I finish off and the, perhaps the band wants to come up, so how do we increase hope? Let's look at Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you, with joy, fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abandon hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, there, there's probably two ways biblically that we actually grow in hope. One is written in Romans, which, which basically says, as you go through experience and you build character, that experience enables you to grow in hope. Uh, most of you know I like mountain biking. Um, Carl and I uh, enjoy riding. We 
one of our favourite areas is we as we start up the top, go down through um, really nice fast area through a forest. It's, you, you get it wrong and it's going to go bad. <laughs> and I took a wrong turn yesterday, and I managed to stop in time. There's a nice drop a bit bigger than this, and then followed by a two metre gap jump. I was not going there, I managed to stop. Anyway, but then we've got an area called the double drop, which we finished. Carl decided to try a new way down there yesterday. He's got a few bruises to demonstrate it. But I, I, every time I get there, I think, if I was just coming to this, I wouldn't be able to ride it. It is just too scary. And, and you know, I'm going, when I, whenever I'm going down there, I'm not actually in control of the bike, I'm just pointing it. <laughs> oh, sorry, Ange. Carl's in really good control of his... <laughs> and, but the reason I'm able to ride it is because I've done it before. That experience has given me hope of a successful outcome and, and generally I get a successful outcome unless I'd maybe like Carl decide to try somewhere different. <laughs> but the successful outcome he's had in the past gave him hope to actually give it a try and he says he's going to try it again. We'll see. But the, the, uh, so we can grow in hope through our experience of seeing God come through and answer. But this verse here says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We increase with hope as God fills us with joy and peace and causes us to change our mindsets and empowers us through his Spirit. And as I start to believe what God says about me, Hope increases in me. As I start to believe what God says about my future, hope increases for me. And as I, as I start to believe what God says about, about life and about situations around me, God's hope starts to increase for seeing things change in, 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 business, in my business, in church, in the community, in my family. Hope increases as this thing starts to change. And it starts to align itself with what God says. It starts to align itself with what God says. Now, hope isn't just positive thinking. It is aligning this with what God says. I like the word abound. Some of the synonyms of this word includes be plentiful, be abundant, be numerous, proliferate, thrive, flourish, Flourish As we shift our beliefs and are filled with joy and peace, hope will abound and overflow. Hope overflows, it flourishes, it proliferates, and it influences the world around us. Hope is contagious. The kingdom of God abounds with hope, which is very attractive to people. As we finish, let me ask you this. Are you abounding with hope? Are you abounding with hope? Is your hope level growing? Does hope overflow from you and give others hope? I think we all can grow our hope level. This morning, we want to give an opportunity for, for people to actually develop that hope by allowing God, the God of hope, to fill you with joy and peace and believing. And if you're wanting to grow in hope, I'm going to encourage you to come forward and we, we want to do some ministry and just allow God to increase joy and peace in your life. 
God may want to speak some things into you to, to align some truth for your thinking so that it actually starts to release hope into circumstances and situations. Now, I, I think there is a person here this morning, a, a parent who has, um, there's been a, a, a couple of years ago, there was a big argument between you and one of your children and it's brought separation and you no longer connect and meet and it breaks your heart. And God wants to instill hope back into you and speak into your life about that. Now, I, th- I think there are, are people who, in their work situation, the feeling that everything is just dead end, nothing's shifting, nothing's changing, and, and they can't see any possibility of breakthrough, and God wants to release hope into your life this morning. There's so many things that we need hope for. Let's stand. The band's going to lead us in a song, which I think is a real key song for us as a church at the moment. It's declaring God bringing breakthrough. It's declaring hallelujah. We're going to change some of the words in it this morning. But if you want to experience an increase of hope around your life and situations and you want some people to help you with that with some ministry, can I encourage you to come forward and there'll be people here to minister to you. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. I raise a hallelujah. My weapon is a melody. I raise a hallelujah. Heaven comes to fight for me. I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm. Louder and louder, you're gonna hear my praises roar. Up from the ashes, hope will arise. Death is defeated, the being is alive. I raise a hallelujah with everything inside of me. I raise a hallelujah, I will watch the darkness flee, I raise a hallelujah, in the middle of the mystery, I raise a hallelujah. Hold on me. So I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm. Louder and louder, you're gonna hear my praises roar up from the heavens.
ashes, hope will arise. Death is defeated, the King is alive. I'm gonna see in the middle of the storm. Louder and louder, you're gonna hear my praises roar. Up from the ashes, hope will arise. Death is defeated, the king is alive. Oh, hope will arise. So we laugh a little louder. Laugh a little louder. Laugh a little louder. Laugh a little louder. We laugh a little louder. Laugh a little louder. Laugh a little louder. Laugh a little louder. So we laugh a little louder. In the presence of my enemies. Laugh a little louder. after a great morning this morning I just want to speak to you if you might have might be here and you've never actually personally given your life to Jesus Christ you might be part of a family or been part of the church long enough to kind of just feel you've assimilated into a relationship with them but you've never actually cemented it you know this is what um, the Bible says it says Jesus saved us not because of the righteous things we have done but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. And the problem with just thinking you've assimilated is that actually none of us are good enough for perfection. And that's what he requires. The only person who's ever achieved 
perfection in living in this life is Jesus Christ. He was born as a baby, which we're going to remember very soon, way too soon, actually. <laughs> December's just around the corner. <laughs> but he lived his entire life perfectly, and then he died for us after having lived a perfect life. And he says, I will forgive you. And because he was perfect, he paid the price of the cross to be able to forgive sins. And there has to come a time where we say, Jesus, by faith, I believe you did that. And I ask you for forgiveness. And I want to become a Christian. I want to become a follower. Could we just have every head bowed over the, over the room today, just for just a moment, in case there is someone here who's never given their life to Jesus, but you want to today. You want to be a follower of his. And if I'm speaking to you, you will know it because something will be going on within your mind and within your body and within your spirit. It might be like a pounding in your heart. It might be various other things that God's just revealing to you. Actually, I'm drawing you. I love you. I care about you personally. And if you want to be forgiven today of all the wrong things and to start a brand new walk, even at whatever age you are, that will take you on into eternity, but will open up all the promises that God has for you. I just want you to raise your hand and I'll just show you how to pray a prayer inviting him to come into the center of your life. Is there anyone here today that's in that, in that position? Gosh, there's a number of you scratching your nose at this moment. <laughs> but not raising above there. Okay, look, you can look at me, church. You're a great group of people. God is doing a great work within our midst. And I just, just trust that um, you're going to continue to enjoy this series. Make sure that you are talking with people that you've never met before, especially if someone's walking alone and as they go to the uh, corridor or they're just going to head out, make sure you grab them and say, hey, come and have a coffee with me. Come and sit with me. Come and let me, let me um, get to know you because you matter. So God bless you, everyone. Um, we'll see you in cell groups and in the cafe and prayer meeting today is at 6 p.m. God bless.